Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. All right, if you've opened your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, we want to read the 22nd verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. And if you're looking at that outline tonight, you're thinking, I've seen this before. Yeah, we didn't quite get through it. We might not quite get through it this evening either. Uh, But this is an interesting topic for us to consider, the topic of angels. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the 22nd verse says, You are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and then this phrase, to an innumerable company of angels. One day, I believe that we're going to see those angels. John gave testimony of that as he writes the book of the Revelation. He speaks of seeing and communicating with the angels who provided for him a tour guide service all over a wonderful place called heaven. And one day we'll have that special privilege as we get to see the angels face to face. Father, I pray that you'd help us with wisdom to look at the theme tonight, that our hearts might be blessed by it, that we might be able to give answer of the hope that lies within us, and that we might live in light of your coming with joy, knowing of your provision and kindness to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Last few weeks, there have been hearings in Congress on the theme, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Used to call them UFOs, but now we have a fancier title, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. And they've been showing some videotapes of some of these encounters uh, from another source that we can't identify. In fact, the Defense Department noted that they've cataloged over 400 encounters with unidentified aerial phenomenon. Eleven of those were near misses with aircraft. There hasn't been so much communication about what's going on with UFOs. I shouldn't use that frame, I guess, if it's whatever they call them today. Since 1947, when something happened in Roswell, New Mexico, and people still don't know what that's all about. There's a question that's looming in a lot of people's minds. Are we the only ones in the universe? Answer, no. (laughs) Sorry, got you on that. I shouldn't have paused so long. Angels. Angels, yeah. No, I don't, I don't think we're going to be visited by Martians. I agree with you on that one. But there are angels all about us. In fact, the poet said it this way, they are evermore around us, though unseen to mortal sight, in the golden hour of sunshine and the sorrow's darkest night, deepening earth's most sacred pleasures with the peace of sin forgiven, whispering to the lonely mourner of the painless joys of heaven, Seeing all our guilt and weakness, looking down with piteous eyes for the foolish things that we cling to and the heaven we despise. They've been our guardian angels since the day the world began. They're still watching o'er us for his sake who died for man. All the major religions of the world have some themes that they develop in commonality with those of us who hold to the Bible to be the truth of God revealed. For instance, all of the major religions of the world have some tradition of a flood. If you haven't looked into that, I'd encourage you to go down to the ark and enjoy the ark encounter sometime and see those various traditions. They are manifold, many of them. Another one of the traditions that other religions have that we know to be the truth, 
whether we're talking about Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, all these and we together believe in angels, in spirit beings that are around us but are unseen. Mormonism in particular starts off with some conversations about angels. Can anyone remember how Joseph Smith said Mormonism started? How did it start? Yes. Kasha? So the angel Moroni appeared to him and gave him extra revelation? Yes. An angel by the title of Moroni. In fact, you'll see the angel Moroni with a trumpet on top of the uh, temple in Utah and other buildings that are dedicated to Mormonism. But the angel Moroni visited, according to what Joseph Smith said, visited Joseph Smith in uh, New York State where he lived and uh, revealed to him the words on the golden tablets, golden plates that were written in some form of Egyptian and also provided a umim and thumim and glasses that were able to allow him to read this Egyptian, which was like miracle upon miracle because by the time he saw that in 1813, he'd already been arrested for fraud and he was illiterate in the English language but reading in the Egyptian language and according to what he told others, he sat with the gold plates uh, behind a blanket as he cited what the angel Moroni was giving to him and that's the birth of the Book of Mormon. So when we talk about angels, a lot of people have talked about angels. Not too many years ago, we heard a lot of discussion under the theme, the New Age Movement. And people were looking at special powers and crystals and having a lot of conversations about angelic beings. Some of us in this room back in the 1990s probably read a couple of the books by Frank Peretti. Can any of you remember reading This Present Darkness or Piercing the Darkness? Uh, this was the conversation. In fact, uh, those two books, I think, became number one sellers among the evangelical presses uh, back in the 1990s. It's interesting, the interest in angels uh, seems to ebb and flow, but it ought to be an interest that Bible-believing Christians take seriously. There's a lot of confidence that comes in knowing that we're never abandoned, first by the Lord Jesus Christ, who said He'll never leave us nor forsake us, so that we can boldly say the Lord is our helper. We don't need to fear what men would do unto us, but also in knowing that God has dispatched his angels to watch over us. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha is facing off with uh, some of the Syrian armies, and Elisha's young servant is quite petrified about the situation. And you remember how Elisha prays that the servant's eyes would be opened? And in 2 Kings chapter 6, we read that the mountain was filled as the eyes of the servant was opened. He saw the mountain was filled with horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, we mentioned last time that the Bible speaks of angels often. 34 of the 66 books in the Bible talk to us about angels. 180 times in the Old Testament, 165 times in the New Testament. Moses speaks often of angels, and I'm going to ask you to help me out on this one. You open the book of Genesis, and as you open the book of Genesis, immediately you start reading about angels. So, a real Bible believer who believes the Bible to be true has an immediate encounter with unseen beings. Can you tell me some of the places in Genesis that we read about angels? 
We're in Genesis, yes, Joe? Uh, yes, sir, in the Garden of Eden, after um, Adam and Eve sinned, uh, the, the angel with the rotating sword guarded away the tree of the life. Right, so Satan is a falling, a fallen angel in the garden, and then Joe is exactly right. Uh, the, that angel that's guarding the entrance to Eden is there dispatched by God to keep people out. Yes, Nate? What's that? Sodom and Gomorrah, absolutely. Uh, at the fall of Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels have been dispatched to bring Lot and his family out. We're just in Genesis. Let's keep going here. What others in Genesis do you find? Angels. Yes, Abraham and Sarah are visited by angels. In fact, the same ones that go to Sodom and Gomorrah visit, but also uh, the discussion with regard to uh, a son of promise being born. Angela? Yes, Jacob. And his ladder uh, has angels there. He has another visit with angels. Anybody remember? What's that? He wrestled with an angel at Peniel. Our, our young people are going to be going to Camp Peniel in Ohio this summer. Peniel is the place where, angel, where the angels wrestled with uh, Joseph, and, or Jacob rather, and he got a new name. He's called Israel. Anywhere else in the book of Genesis, angels? Those are some good ones. Okay, let's go to Exodus. Any angels in Exodus? Think of any angelic encounters in Exodus? What's that? Yeah, the ten plagues are there, especially the death angel that comes through Egypt. The Egyptians at that time certainly believed in angels. Uh, the angel of death came through Egypt, and so, uh, so many died. Let's go to the New Testament for just a moment. We're walking into the beginning of the New Testament. Anytime we're going to find angels in the beginning of the New Testament? Yes, Joe, I'm going I'm to go to somebody else, Joe. You, okay, Mary. Mary has been communicated with by an angel. Debbie? What's that? Zacharias? Yes. The book of Revelation filled with angels. Elizabeth, yes, that's Elizabeth. She had an angelic encounter. Matthew chapter 3, one of my favorites, is Jesus in the time of his temptation. The angels did come and minister unto him. How about the book of Acts? Taking you through a little survey here. Let's go into the book of Acts. Any angels in the book of Acts? What, what, what are you looking at? That's right. Okay, I know. I, I, I just had to catch up with you there. Yeah, I wonder what I was. What am I looking at? I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? That's the angels, right? Yes. But was there an angel that released Peter? Yes, there was an angel that released Peter from prison. In fact, you have that happening twice, and one time waking Peter up. You recall uh, from prison. You think of some others. How about Cornelius? Remember Cornelius? Uh, Cornelius is being communicated with by angelic beings telling him uh, that someone's going to come and share the gospel. Listen, folks, if you believe in the Bible, you believe in angels. And we don't need to go to Congress to talk about extraterrestrials, okay? We believe in extraterrestrials. Uh, I don't know if I want to use that term. I don't know if they're walking on land or not. But Strauss said to deny the existence of angels is to deny the authority of the Bible. And that's absolutely true. The power of angels, the angels of our great God, they're, they're poised, the powerful angels rather, are poised to accomplish God's plan for his people. Take your Bibles and turn to the 148th Psalm. The 148th Psalm. When we ask the question, where did these angels come from? The 148th Psalm gives us the answer, Psalm 148. Psalm 148. I'm sure our minds are already saying, well, all things were created by him, or without him was not anything created that is made. True, 
But if you're asking specifically, where can I find in the Bible with regard to the creation of the angels? The 148th Psalm says, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His host. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For He commanded and they were created. Who was created? The angels that are being encouraged to praise Him. He is the Creator, our God is the creator of the angels. And we know that when the world was created and all that we see in the space round about us, the 38th chapter of the book of Job says, the morning stars sang together. The phrase morning stars there, the angelic beings were there there to witness the creation of all that we enjoy. So here comes the question, so when did they fall? When did they fall? They were there at creation when did they fall? You want to want Lucifer fell? When? Yeah, the serpent was in the garden. Did he fall before the garden was created? After the garden was created? Okay, let's take a vote. No, we won't do that. I don't want to embarrass anybody else this evening. I've already been embarrassed enough. In Genesis 1 and verse 31, God saw all that he'd made, and he said it was very good, very good. Now, if Lucifer in sin had been in the garden on that sixth day when God pronounced everything very good before he rested, would he have pronounced it very good? No. Okay, so most theologians will placed the fall of the angels somewhere shortly after the final establishment of God's creation as Adam and Eve are now in the garden and we see Lucifer, Satan, slithering in. The angels witnessed the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. As we noted, they were there to try to haul Lot and his family out to safety. They witnessed the giving of the law according to the book of Galatians chapter 3. The angels witnessed the incarnation of the Savior And they sang together. There's another demonstration of the angels in the New Testament, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. They witnessed the crucifixion. They witnessed the resurrection of the Savior. In fact, the Word of God does indeed tell us, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? They witnessed the ascension of the Savior. And the angels, we said this last time, are not the dead now glorified. Several times in seeking to minister to grieving families, I've had people say, well, now they're angels, especially when little ones die. Folks, reality is, one day, we the redeemed of Christ, and we're going to see this a bit later on, are going to be greater than the angels. Greater than the angels. So when someone is seeking for comfort to say, They're now one of the angels. The reality is, no, it's even better. It's even better. Better than the angels. Now, today, we're a bit under the angels, but that rank is going to change. They're an innumerable host, we read that in Hebrews chapter 12, that inhabit the courts of heaven, while also, simultaneously, some of them having access to the earth. 
And we read about that in the book of Job. And I got to tell you, those first two chapters of the book of Job are a constant source of mystery to me, how that our holy God would allow access of the accuser into his presence, but he does. And a full explanation of that I'd like to enjoy one day when I get to heaven. I can speculate about things by way of answer, but to be honest, I really don't have an answer that to my soul is satisfying on how they're able to come before the Lord. They have rank. They have rank. Man is created today, according to Psalm 8 and verse 5, a little lower than the angels. And we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. Those are terms that speak of rank. Now, I'm just going to pause for a moment and drill down on what we began with. In a world that's asking the question, are we alone in the universe? I want you to pause right now and think already, how much have we already said that we know as Bible-believing, Bible-reading Christians about the unseen parts of the universe that God has created? We know a lot. God in his kindness has revealed a great deal to us about the angels. And while people are scratching their heads about UFOs and asking this question, we know, for instance, that the cherubim in the Bible protect the holiness of God. And they're spoken of 85 times. And the seraphim, while they're only spoken of once, when they're spoken of, they're seen in their activity as they, in Isaiah chapter 6, are before the throne of God, crying out with regard to his central attribute, holy, holy, holy. They have identity. They have identity. We talked the last time we gathered about the archangels. But I want to be really clear on this. Somebody brought up a point afterwards. I noted that I believe there are three archangels. But the reality is there's only one who's spoken of and given the title archangel. And the only one who has that title given to him is Michael. Michael, in the book of Jude, the ninth verse, he battles for the body of of Moses. He's declared there to be an archangel. Now, the word archangel is also used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The voice of the archangel will sound in the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What a voice that's going to be. The voice of the archangel that wakens those who have been looking forward to their redeemed body being regathered with the soul that descends. All right, now, why then would we say that Gabriel and Lucifer, because that's what I said, are also archangels? Michael's the only one announced as such. But we make that position because there are only three angels that are ever named. So the only names that you have in the Bible of angels are Michael and Gabriel and Lucifer. Two of them always doing similar work. And we'll talk about that momentarily. But I do believe that there are three archangels. And while Michael is the only one given that title, I do believe that Gabriel and Lucifer are also archangels, Lucifer, an archangel that has fallen. And they have curiosity. They have curiosity. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 says, there are things that the angels desire to look into. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. There's a beautiful picture painted by the Spirit of God in Ephesians chapter 3. With regard to the church and the impact that the church is going to have on the angelic beings. 
You know, when a person goes into a diamond store to buy a diamond, the wise jeweler will put that diamond on a black velvet cloth and shine brilliant lights on it so all the facets just explode. Our God is far more brilliant than a jeweler. And for the facets of his glory to be revealed, he, in his wisdom, has allowed some things to transpire. People will often ask, why sin? The sweetness of the attributes of God's grace and God's mercy, the understanding of the attribute of God's justice, requires the black velvet of our sin. And velvet's not the right descriptor. But the blackness of our sin allows the glory of God's greatness to be more wonderfully revealed. And in Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, one of the things that's going to cause the angelic beings in heaven to be spellbound is God's grace exhibited in the church. The Jew and the Gentile, redeemed out of the slave market of sin, bonded together to become the bride of Christ, is going to blow the minds of some angels. You say, well, where do you see that? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. God wants to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent. What's this mystery that's been hidden from the beginning of the world? Well, now here's the intention of this mystery. This is what God's going to do with this mystery. That now under the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. As the angels look at the church, their minds are going to explode to see the glory of God, the wisdom of God revealed. How so? There's no greater display of the grace of God then the Gentiles could be called out of the slave market of sin, bound together with the Jews, the seed of Abraham, into the church, forgiven, redeemed, and one day exalted above the angels. God's intention for the church is glorious. It's going to cause the principalities of heaven to have their minds explode in wonder as they see on the black drop of our sin the greatness of our God in the work of his redemption. They have curiosity. They function, these angels. Angels are very powerful beings. Daniel chapter 9 speaks of their speed. Gabriel was swift in coming. Psalm 103 and verse 4 speaks of their strength. Are not all of his angels spirits ministering with flaming fire? And we know of their strength. God sent one angel and 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrians died outside the gates of Jerusalem. God dispatched one angel, and on that night, the death angel passing through Egypt, all of the eldest sons died. Yes, they're very strong, and they have great intelligence. The Bible reveals three of those angels. We spoke of them last week at some length, or the last time we met on this theme. Some are messengers. Gabriel is only seen in the activity of bringing messages. Gabriel is the messenger angel. It's Gabriel who speaks to Joseph, to Zacharias, to Daniel. Michael is the warrior angel. Michael disputes over the body of Moses in Jude, the ninth verse. And Michael, in Revelation chapter 12, is involved in a great battle in heaven with the dragon, 
That is Satan. He is the warrior angel. Strauss again says power rather than beauty or intellect is their striking characteristic. They are powerful beings. Daniel speaks of the revelation that God had sent to him being delayed until Michael comes and he battles against an opposing angel, a fallen angel who's called the prince of the power of Persia. And Michael, of course, wins that battle and the message that God wanted Daniel to receive was indeed received. Some are musicians, and this is where we parked the last time we met. We talked about Lucifer and how you find his musical ability revealed in two passages. We're not making it up when we say that music is a powerful medium that can destroy the soul. Where do we find proof of that? Well, we found it in Isaiah 14, that one day the noise of his vials or his stringed instruments will cease. We found it in Ezekiel chapter 28, where we discovered that when he was made, he was made with tabrets and borings, musical annotation there in Ezekiel 28, to key us in that that one who walked up and down on the coals of fire, who was glorified in all the beautiful gems that surrounded him according to Ezekiel 28, Lucifer, the one who's called the son of the morning, created to reflect the glory of God, was created to reflect the glory of God with musical power. And so we talked about that at length the last time we gathered together. But it's intriguing to see how their functionality is considered. And the height of their function, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, is to worship. They're created like we are, to worship our Creator. Hebrews 1 verse 6, when He brought the firstborn into the world, He said, let all the angels of God worship Him. Worship who? Christ. Take your Bibles and come with me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 1. God's angels watch over the elect, those who are children of God by faith in His promises have the joy of knowing that the angels watch over them. Hebrews chapter 1, for many years I had the privilege of serving with an outreach pastor, Pastor Joe Montgomery. I've told his story before. Joe Montgomery was 39 years old when he came to Christ as Savior. He was orphaned, raised in a pretty tough background, went into the Navy when he was very young, came out of the Navy with a pretty bad habit of drinking and some uh, fabulous tattoos that you can't read anymore. Married his high school sweetheart, got a job basically in the Boston police force. In fact, he was just outside of Boston living a pretty rough life. Roman Catholic by background. At the age of 39, he was disabled from his work as a police officer because of two encounters with bad guys. One of the encounters that caused him to be permanently disabled, he was setting up a roadblock and somebody T-boned him on purpose. And so he was out of the police force at the age of 39, and by God's grace, after that, shortly after that, he came to Christ. But the first encounter that almost put him out of the police force, he was battling with a fellow that he was trying to arrest, and they got to wrestling. And in the wrestling match, the guy that he was trying to arrest, by the way, Joe was pretty good when he was on his feet. Uh, he was uh, so skilled in martial arts that he had, a, he had a picture in his office. It was a real picture. It wasn't photoshopped. The picture in his office was a picture of him sparring with Chuck Norris and drop-kicking Chuck Norris. 
It's a really cool picture. This is my friend Joe Montgomery. Now, he's aged a little bit since that picture was taken. And of course, Chuck Norris never ages, but, uh, but Joe had. So, Joe, Joe, while a police officer, was trying to apprehend somebody, and the guy was wrestling with Joe for his gun, the guy actually got Joe's gun into his hand, the criminal's hand, and jammed it through the teeth of Joe Montgomery, my friend. The barrel of the gun was in his mouth. And Joe, somehow, in the uh, encounter, was able to slip his finger between the trigger and the gun housing, and while the guy was trying to pull the trigger, Joe's finger was what was holding that trigger from being pulled. Uh, Joe was also um, a canine officer, and so Joe's dog took out the bad guy, and Joe lived to tell about it. So here's Joe's life verse, Hebrews chapter 1. This is before he was saved, so you'll see why he loved this verse. Hebrews 1, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be? heirs of salvation. Joe said, that's my verse. I wouldn't be here if some angel didn't stop what was about to happen to me. They're ministering spirits to those who shall be heirs of salvation. If you're a parent, you know the truth of this verse. It's an amazing thing that any kid lives past the age of three. (laughs) And we have to give credit where credit is due, right? People ask me, do you believe in guardian angels? I say, have you ever been a parent? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Have you ever been conscious long enough to live a few steps? Psalm 91 says, he gives his angels charge concerning us to keep us in all of our ways. Yes, I believe in guardian angels. Now, I don't believe I have a particularly, there's no Clarence watching over me, all right, guys? There's There's no Clarence watching over me. Nobody's waiting for some great thing to happen so he can get his wings. I don't believe necessarily that I have a personally assigned angel, um, but I do believe in guardian angels. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 18 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, the 10th verse, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is speaking. and He says, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Matthew 18, verse 10. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven... Their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. And so there's the ministry of the angels to us. I appreciate Ryrie. I, I'm using a Ryrie study Bible. And he has this note on verse 10. Apparently, children have guardian angels. He says, see not Psalm 91, 11, Acts 12, 15. And then he continues, as do all God's people. See Hebrews 1, 14, we just did. And then he notes, behold the face, in other words, they are in the immediate presence of God. So yes, I believe in guardian angels. Well, what about the fall of angels? The fall of angels. It was pride, of course, that caused Satan to fall. And we're going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 12. And how many angels fell? So the Bible says one day when we get to heaven, it's going to be an innumerable company of angels. And when you turn to Revelation chapter 12, you'll see something of those angelic beings. Revelation chapter 12. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, verse 1, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, upon her head a crown of 12 stars. She being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. 
there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. She brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Okay, there's a lot to unpack in that passage. So when you hear dragon in the Bible, who are we talking about? Satan, all right? And we discover in this passage that with his tail, verse 4, he drew a third part of the stars of heaven and cast them unto the earth. Most who come to this passage will interpret this as the fall of Satan, and with the fall of Satan you have one-third of the angelic beings falling with him. Now let's go back to this passage for just a little bit more, all right? There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And by the way, when we hear that, we ought to remember the imagery of the dream that Joseph had with regard to the other tribes bowing before him. It's the same imagery as is discovered in this passage. She being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Verse 5, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations. Who is she and who is her man-child? Israel is the woman and Jesus is the man-child. And how do we know that? Because it's Wednesday night, Pastor, and it's 8.15 and we need to get out of here. So we're going to answer that. Okay, No. How do we know this woman is Israel and the man-child is the, earth, is the Savior? Yeah, Christine? Yeah, going right up to the throne. So obviously the only one with access to the throne. No man has ever ascended up, Jesus said, so it's got to be God. Something else here that keys us it. Steve? What's that? Tall stars, tall stars, tall tribes. Yes, the tribes are, are listed here. But there's something else very significant said about this man-child. We don't want to miss it. What's he going to do, verse 5? Rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Now that rod of iron goes right back to Genesis chapter 49, where the tribe of Judah is going to bring forth a son who will rule the world with a rod of iron. The tribe of Judah brought forth that son. That son is none other than Jesus. He's going to rule the world with a rod of iron in the millennium. So who's the woman? It's Israel. Who's the one that was born? It's Jesus. What happens to him? Verse 5, he, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod. Her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now watch this. It says, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Now, he was caught up, but the woman le was left behind. Who was the woman? Israel. Who is her child? Jesus. And you know what? This is the text that a fellow who was identified as a Plymouth Brethren by the name of Darby stumbled upon in the mid to late 1800s. And in looking at this text, he realized that the book of the Revelation, I believe the third chapter, talks about those who endure will be seated with Christ on his throne. That we are so identified with Christ that he is the head and we are the body. So this is how he reasoned, and it's an exegetical reasoning for why we're not going to be part of the tribulation. So I'll leave you with this. Darby reasoned this way. If the man-child Christ is caught up, 
And Israel is on earth fleeing into the wilderness because the dragon is after Israel. Follow me here? Is Jesus with Israel at that moment? No, he was caught up. And who's the body of Christ? Church. Huh. So where's the church when the tribulation breaks loose and Satan is cast down to the earth? Praise the Lord, the church is in heaven. That's an argument that comes right out of the passage with regard to why we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Okay, we've done some angel work tonight. You guys have been wonderful, and I appreciate the, uh, the patience along the way. But we got to go. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.